You know, we're looking at the book of Acts uh, here. And uh, I was just sort of reading through and, and really felt led to speak from Acts 8 this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, if you've got your, got your phone, you can follow along with me. But I want to pick up at Acts chapter 8, verse 4. You've got to understand that the context of what's going on here is that there's persecution. So uh, Stephen uh, has, been, uh, has been speaking, has been ministering, and he gets uh, dragged in, in, uh, in front of like the Sanhedrin and uh, uh, he gets accused, pulled outside, and gets stoned to death. And so uh, Paul, or Saul, what he was called at the time, is standing there giving his approval. And it, it says that there's this wave of persecution that is going over the church at that time. And picking up in verse 4, it says, But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Did you get that? But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs that he did. And many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, as they sometimes do. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. And so there was great joy in that city. I'm going to stop there. Do you know there's a few things here? Number one is the believers were scattered. You see, when there's, when there's persecution, when there's, when there's danger, uh, people scatter. People, it's, it's difficult to meet. The second thing is that they preach the good news. And the third thing is that Philip's the example. You know, people are, are scattering. It's, it's difficult. Uh, Saul's going into homes and he's, he's dragging men and women out, splitting up families, taking them into, into prison. People are being killed, and it's, it's a scary time. But I want to say this. There's a difference when Christians scatter. You know, the Bible talks about how God will scatter his enemies, you know. Let God arise. Let his enemies be scattered. And, you know, the, the enemy will come at you in one direction and flee from you in seven. But that's not the kind of scattering. You see, when Christians scatter, there's a word for it in the Greek, and that's diaspora. And you know what diaspora means? It specifically means the scattering of seed. That when Christians get scattered, they carry a message. You see, there's a revival that took place in Jerusalem. God's moving. 3,000 people get added to the Lord's number in one day. Everybody's having a great Jesus party. Kind of a little bit like Asbury, but a bit bigger than that. And, it, and, it, and it's going awesome. But then something takes place and it, and it gets scattered. Isn't it interesting that, that, that when, that when a- a- Asbury stopped, so many people complain because they're like, well, we can't come to our revival now. But do you know God had another idea? Do you know that he had another plan? You see, Christians are seed. And so when this persecution's coming and the Christians are scattered, they're, they're not just leaving, but they're taking Jesus with them. They're taking Jesus into the marketplace. They're taking Jesus to other towns. They're taking Jesus into homes. They're taking Jesus to their neighbors. Worldwide history shows us when Christians are persecuted, their numbers explode. You see, you, 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 can't, you can't stop it. <laughs> it's, it's like what I said you know, with Asbury. It's like Asbury stops, but then suddenly, and here's Oklahoma, and two weekends ago, there's a stadium over 60,000 students praising Jesus, people coming to know Jesus, people getting saved, healed, and delivered. Come on. 
I love, uh, I love how in 2 Corinthians 3.18 it says this, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? It's talking about how, how Moses came with the law and he comes down off the mountain and his face is shining. You, you know the one? And so he has to cover his face because the Israelites are going to be afraid. And, 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 and so Paul's saying, Will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious than that? For if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? You see, we look back and we go, wow, God did a great thing back there. The church I was leading, you know, we came from the Smith Wigglesworth Revival back in the 1920s. I mean, when you read the reports of that, it was crazy. There are piles of crutches outside the front door. There's radical miracles going on. There's Pentecostal churches all up throughout our nation and spirit-filled churches, believers, that have their roots directly in that revival. But we can't go back there. But we don't have to. Because God's doing something now that is even more glorious. You see, it's from glory to glory. What started as glorious is no longer glorious compared to the glory that's coming. I want to encourage you today, Christians, the seed. You see, as we begin to, to move out, as we begin to, to follow him, greater glory is going to take place. And I love how it says this. It says that the believers are scattered, and then it just says Philip, for example. Philip, for example. I love that they picked Philip as the example, as the example of what a normal believer looks like. You see, Philip goes out and he's preaching the good news, and there's deliverance, and there's signs and wonders, and there's miracles, and there's great uncontainable joy. And I love how they picked Philip, not because he's an apostle, not because he's a superstar, not even because he's an evangelist, but because he's a Christian, because he's a believer. In fact, Philip doesn't get called an evangelist until chapter 21. He's just a guy that got chosen to serve along with Stephen, serve the church, be, be a deacon, look after orphans and widows, but the Holy Ghost got him. Has the Holy Ghost got you this morning? Has he got you where he wants you? You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to be an you just got to be you. Amen? <laughs> just got to be you. Normal Christianity. Jesus said this. He said, anyone who, who, who believes in me will do these things that I have done and even greater than these things because I'm going to the Father. I don't know about you. I find that one of the most frustrating verses in the Bible because I'm just still trying to do the things that Jesus did, let alone the things that he didn't do. Yeah. <laughs> I don't preach as well as him, but I'm not going to stop. And I don't heal as well as him, but I'm not going to stop. I don't deliver as well as him, but I'm not going to stop. Because I don't know about you, but I just want to push into more that he has. Sometimes we look at what we don't have and what we can't do and what we haven't done. And, and this morning, I want you to lift your eyes. I want you to step into the deep. I love that. I was going to say the same thing, by the way. I was going to say, can you come up and sing that Deep Waters song? <laughs> Maybe we can do that again. That's all right, you know. We'll, we'll do it again at the end, and the Holy Spirit will remind you. I love that this is normal, normal Christianity, to actually just take him wherever you go. You know, uh, it says in the Word, you know, Jesus, when he, when he calls the 12 apostles and he sends them out, he just says, and as you go, 
preach in every town, preach the kingdom and, you know, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. And then again in, in Matthew, you know, chapter 28, it's go into all the world, but it, it, it's got that sense of as you go, as you go, wherever you go. I, I just never want to lose that sense of wonder of signs and wonders and, and miracles. And you see that as, as, as Philip goes, it's like there's just this, this wonder that takes place in the town's that he goes to. People start to follow. People are, people are amazed. They're seeing things they haven't seen before. I was at, at uh, out of Bridge Valley last year and uh, had the privilege to speak to a bunch of young people out there. And uh, God was just showing up, doing some really cool things. And I had a young lady who was one of the, the young leaders come up to me and she said, Steve, she said, I just really want to see a miracle. I've prayed for people before. I've never really seen healing, never seen a miracle prayed for people, and I'm like, man, that's cool, well, let's come on, and so we began to sort of get a few young people who were coming up, and uh, I, I, just, I just put her in the thick of it, and so, so you lay your hands, she's just like probably about 17, and, and so she starts putting her hands on young people, and then suddenly we start getting backs healed, knees healed, we see a thumb that's kind of been sprained and can't move, straighten out, and and she's just like tripping out, like she's going, wow, it, it works, you know, it works. You don't have to be a superstar, you know. I see a Bridge Valley fan up the back there. How are you going, Claire? <laughs> we had this young girl and she'd, uh, she'd had many uh, surgeries for her face and she had partial paralysis in her face and she couldn't close one eye. And uh, this is beautiful young girl came to came to the camp. She's an atheist and started to see a bit of what was going on and something stirring in her heart. And she's like, comes to us in the break and she says, "Oh, I, I think I believe in God now." And I'm like, "That's really cool." And she said, "But I just want to say that I'm really worried because I've got to go and have the surgery because you know to correct my face and and because my eye can't close." And and she's like, "You know, I, I'm I'm worried because I could get fully paralyzed." in the surgery. It's just this girl who's about, I reckon, 12 years old, Sarah. And, uh, and, and it's so bad that she can't sleep properly at night. She's got to wear an eye patch because well, the, the rest of her cabin wants the light on outside, but she can't sleep. She's got one eye open the whole night. She's got tears that are, you know, just constantly running on her face. And, and so we're like, yeah, look, we'll definitely pray for your surgery, but come on, let's pray for you for God to move. And so we prayed and just uh, got this, this young lady to pray for her as well and placed hands on her and on the side of her face. And as we prayed for her, then all of a sudden, all by itself, her eye just shuts. And she goes, oh, my gosh, my eyes closed. She is just blown away. She's like, I have to ring my mum, who doesn't believe in God. I have to ring my mum and tell her about Jesus, tell her that it works, tell her that he's real. And then she, she says, can I get up in front of camp? Can I tell the whole camp? what he's done, and that he's real. And we just had the privilege of seeing this 12-year-old girl who was an atheist at starter camp get up the front and testify and go, see, it works like this. Wow. <laughs> a miracle. I, I don't ever want to lose the, the wonder because, it, you know, it gives weight. They give weight to the Word of God. The miracles and the signs and wonders give weight to the Word of God. It, it, people, people go, wow, you didn't just talk about it. It's not just knowledge, but... 
but I believe it. And I, I want to be a person, and let's be people that don't just carry knowledge, but carry transformation. Amen? Let's be people that don't just carry theology, but, but carry an application. Because you see, every true theology has an application. Every true theology has a, an encounter available to it. I, I grew up, I got told these things weren't for today. So I, I, when I grew up in, in church, I was told, so you remember, signs and wonders and miracles are not for today. They passed away with the apostles. That's what we believed. And, and uh, you know, and they said things, well, Christians don't lead deliverance. Well, I've proved that wrong. Um, you know, <laughs> he had this theology that miracles passed away, you know, and all that, and and I just remember being a 16-year-old kid going, why did he shut up shop? Like, well, there's, there's more sickness now. Like, there's probably more deliverance. Things are darker, you know, the challenges. I, I was going, why has God shut up shop? And, and, and I, you know, when you read the book, it's full of miracles. It's full of miracles. I, I challenge anyone to take, a, take just the Bible and sit in a room for a few days. You won't come out believing in a God who doesn't do miracles. You believe in a God, a God of miracles. You need a whole bunch of theology books to, to you know, to do that. Like, you know. And as a 16-year-old boy, I, I just remember I had a transformational encounter with the Holy Spirit in my room. My parents didn't believe that. Our church didn't believe that. But I just cried out to him and I said, Jesus, your word says that you'll baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So would you baptize me with the Holy Spirit and fire? And oh, by the way, I'd like to speak in tongues because that would be cool. And that, and that day, I, I felt liquid love pouring over me, transformed me, set, changed the, the course of my life. And, uh, you know, God's taken me on a journey and I'm seeing, seeing him move, seeing him change lives. I, I, I don't want to live a life that's theoretical. I don't want to live a life that's just caught up in religion. And that's what I love. I walk in here and I feel it. I feel the difference that this is a place of encounter. And there's all of that. But then we hit verse 9. And there's a lesson in here. And, it, and it's powerful. You see, he left stories in here like this for a reason. It says, now there was a man who lived there who was steeped in sorcery. For some time he was astounded, he astounded the people of Samaria with his magic, boasting to be someone great. So in Passion says, uh, the, the, the Aramaic it says, uh, he said, I am the great God. It's kind of like, wow. <laughs> like, you know. Whew. And everyone from the least to the greatest among them was dazzled by his sorcery, saying, this man is the greatest wizard of all. The divine power of God walks among us. And for many years, everyone was in awe of him because of his astonishing displays of magic arts, or in the Aramaic it says, and they were all praying and bowing down to him. That's quite full on, isn't it? Yeah. Don't do that. All right. That's all you got this morning? Don't do that. But then... Verse 12, but as Philip preached the wonderful news of God's kingdom realm and the name of Jesus, the anointed one, many believed his message and were baptized, both men and women, and even Simon believed and was baptized. Wow. Yeah, wow. 
Wherever Philip went, Simon was right by his side, astounded by all the miracles and signs and enormous displays of power that he witnessed. Did you see what it said? It said that Simon believed and was baptized. Now, when I used to read this, I, I was just like, no, 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 he didn't, he didn't do that. He, he was like, a, he's a charlatan. But it says here that he believed and was baptized. And it uses the same words as it does for everybody else in the group. That here's this guy who's had, who's seen something. He's been living so far away from God that he's claiming to be God. Which a lot of people actually do. They just don't say the words. But that's another story. And, and he has this, like this 180 encounter where, where he, he goes in and he, he believes and he's baptized. Now we could debate whether it's genuine or not, right? But if we were there, we would see that as a miracle testimony, wouldn't we? Wouldn't you? So would everybody else. They'd be like, wow, here's this high-profile celebrity. Like, he's an influencer. He's, like, totally, like, just, you know, got selfies all over the Internet, and he's got a following, and, and, uh, and people love him. And it's like, wow, imagine what Simon could do for the kingdom. Imagine what Simon could do if he got saved. You know how we say that about celebrities? And here's this celebrity that comes to Jesus publicly, like baptized, and everyone's rejoicing. You get the picture. And it says in verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard the Samaritans had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John to pray over them so they'd receive the Holy Spirit. Because they'd been baptized in the name of Jesus, but they were yet to have the Holy Spirit come. And as soon as Peter and John arrived, they laid hands on the Samaritan believers one after another, and the Holy Spirit fell and filled each one of them. I love their priorities, by the way, because they, they travel, they get there, and the first thing they do is, we just got to pray for those guys. You know? We've just got to get them filled with the Holy Spirit. We've just got to get them connected to the source. It's got to be more than just a, an intellectual or just a, a, a ritual. It's actually got to be an encounter. It's got to, he's got to inhabit you. It's, it's got to be a life change. And so their first priority is let's connect, connect people to the source. The Bible says don't be drunk with wine, but, but be, be being filled or being under the influence of the Holy Spirit in your life. And in verse 18, it says, When Simon saw how the Holy Spirit was released through the laying on of hands, he approached them and offered them cash, saying, I want this power too. I'm willing to pay you for the anointing that you have so that I can lay hands on everyone and they can receive the Holy Spirit. Wow. <laughs> you can hear a pin drop, right? And Peter turns to him and he says, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking that God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart's not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he'll forgive your evil thoughts for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and have captive by sin. Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks He wants our hearts. He wants your heart. 
He's not so interested in what I'm doing as he is in what I'm becoming. He's interested in the heart, my heart. There's a couple of things about Simon. Number one, he wants power for himself. You know, Simon's been used to doing sorcery or maguo is the, is the word. It's magical arts. It's, uh, and magical arts is all about power for self. Sorcery is about power for self, for self-promotion and self-power and self-worship. And, but, but the word for miracles is dunamis. It's the power of God. And see, miracles are specifically to provide testimony to Jesus. They're specifically to point to Jesus. They followed the preaching of the word, and they were there to testify to him. And Simon's been so used to, in his world, doing things that are about him, and that, and that give him praise, and that give him promotion, and, and give him benefit. And, and yet he sees something that's even more powerful than he's ever seen before. But it's a different thing. It's of a a different spirit, and it's specifically for the testimony of Jesus. You see, something in Simon is unhealed. It still wants the praise. It still wants the recognition. He still loves the testimony of Simon more than the testimony of Jesus. He loves the miracles. He loves the message. Even loves the truth, but he also loves the importance. He loves the stage, and he'd love the music and the lights and the band if they were there too. And suddenly, it's all a little bit too close to home. And Peter gets this word of knowledge, and he says, "You're still held captive." See, what we're seeing is self-promotion, but what's under it is something else. What's under it is a root of bitterness. What's under it is envy. What's under it is there's pain in your life. And there's this need for, for love to be seen, to be known, to be wanted. And it's grown into bitterness. And it's taken hold of you. So you're reaching for this thing that fills your life, that makes you look good, so you think that you're important. Suddenly it's all a little too close to home. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever heard about this thing called shadow missions. I remember a, uh, a well-known speaker speaking a while back, and uh, he was talking about how we have these shadow missions, these covert operations. Where we've got a mission from God, and we're on our mission from God, and everybody knows I'm on my, my mission from God but I've actually got my shadow mission. My shadow mission is to be liked. My shadow mission is to be accepted. My shadow mission is to draw people to myself. Jesus said this, if I am lifted up, then I will draw people to myself. You know, I, there are times in, in my ministry life that I'm not super proud of where I look back and I know it was more about me than it was about him. There was something still broken and something still wanting to be seen, to be someone. And, you know, every now and then, it still rears its little head and kind of goes, hey, like a little, you know, sock puppet that talks to you and says, 
What about that? What will they think of you if you do that? And, and there's this temptation to go on this, this shadow mission. And we all got him. But he's more interested, I've discovered, and who I'm becoming and than what I'm doing. Because if my becoming is right, then my doing will be right. If I'm close to the source, then the outflow is going to be right. And so here's Simon, he's got this, this shadow mission. But the second thing is this, and I want to point this out, I'm almost done. It says this, that, well, it doesn't say this. It's really interesting, actually, because it doesn't say, and even Simon was baptized in the Holy Spirit. What it says is, I want this ability to. Simon didn't receive the Holy Spirit. Did you notice that? Everyone else. Now the disciples going around laying hands on everyone else. But what it says is it says that Simon noticed and said, I want what you've got. I want to do what you do. And there's a big difference. Come on, guys. There's a big difference between getting blessed on an altar call and being with him. See, he's, uh, he's the water. Deep waters, the psalmist said this. He said, deep calls unto deep, and the roar of your waters have gone over me. The deep of God's calling to the deep of you. Your spirit, your wide oil. But he's also the well. And I, and I don't want to just play in the water. And I don't just want to drink living water, but I want to be with the well. See, there's this moment, encounter in John 4, where this Samaritan woman there, you probably know the story. If you don't, feel free to go home and read it. Jesus meets the Samaritan woman who's rejected. And, and she asks him for water. And he says, if you knew who I was, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, God, Jesus asked her for a drink, sorry, then you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And anyone who drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. And she's like, sir, give me this water. But what she doesn't realize is that he's both the water and the well. There's one thing to desire living water. It's another thing to come to the well. Because everyone wants the living water, but there's only one place you can get it. John 7, a few chapters down, there's a festival, the Feast of Tabernacles it's called. Everyone else goes ahead of Jesus, the disciples, the, like you come in, he's like, no, I'm cool. But then he goes secretly. And it, and it says this, that at the height of the, the festival, Jesus stands up and speaks to everybody. Now you've got to understand, at the height of this festival, is a point called the, the water drawing ceremony. 
And histor historians say that there, if you've not seen a water drawing festival, you, you ain't seen nothing. Because the party and, the, and the, the trumpets and the banners and the excitement and the passion of the water drawing festival, it's really the height of the festival. Everybody's going nuts. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's exciting. And, and the height of the water drawing festival is where the high priest comes and he draws water. And, and it's based on that passage from Isaiah Chapter 12, which says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation, except the word for salvation is Yeshua. With joy you will draw water from the wells of Yeshua. And Jesus jumps up and he says, Anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink, for out of them shall flow rivers of living water. He's the water and he's the well. I don't just wanna I don't just wanna play in the water. I don't just wanna experience his power. I don't wanna I don't wanna run my race and end up going, I've I've ministered to others, but but I've missed out somehow. I I actually I wanna be near the well. Come on, do you wanna be near the well this morning? Do you? And I felt God say this morning, you know, as I was just praying before I came, I just simply felt him say, I want people to desire me more than anything else. I don't just want to get wet. I want the well himself. 